We got more moves to talk about. The busy offseason for the Toronto Blue Jays continues. They've signed Marcus Semyon and traded for Steven Matz. We'll talk about these moves on episode three of Flippin' the Bird. What is going on, Blue Jays fans? Welcome back to Flippin' the Bird, third episode. And man, these Blue Jays have just been, they've been red hot in the streets with free agency. We have a trade to talk about. Uh, but first, let's get to uh, introductions. I'm Bryce Hunt, joined as always by Josh Frysam. Josh, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. We got uh, more news to talk about, which is always a good thing, especially when we are doing a podcast. So that's always good. And uh, especially it's the Blue Jays, man. Like the Blue Jays are, like you said, they're red hot right now and they are making some noise, which is always fun as uh, as a fan. So ready to get to it. Definitely an exciting time to be a Blue Jays fan. In recent memory, I don't remember this team being so active in the offseason. I know we just made an episode a few weeks ago talking about George Springer, Kirby Yates. Well, we got another all-star coming. Let's start with Marcus Semien. We haven't talked about that deal on the podcast just yet. Marcus Semien coming from the Oakland A's signs a one-year, $18 million contract. Formerly a shortstop, but uh, we all know that we have a guy there named Bo Bichette who uh, isn't leaving the position anytime soon. Semyon's going to play second base for us, so his defense has been great. I think he's going to be a great addition to the to the locker room for us. Biggio's probably going to move over to third base. He's going to platoon in the outfield. He'll be all over the field, but this team and this lineup is getting absolutely stacked. I think this really puts us as one of the best lineups one of the deepest lineups in the american league up there with the yankees and the white Sox. this team is dangerous and they got even better by adding marcus Semyon. what are your thoughts on the deal yeah man it was a good deal i, I really liked it uh i mean marcus is 30 years old uh one year 18 million dollars so i mean just a one-year deal something that he's used to i think that he's uh exclusively just been signing one-year deals throughout his entire career uh, whether it was with the White Sox or whether it was with the Oakland A's and where he spent the majority of his uh, career. And we're getting a guy who, it's 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 a little bit up in the air. We don't necessarily know exactly what to expect of him. However, we do understand what his potential is. And hopefully he is able to provide a, li- a little bit more stability uh, on the offensive side and on the defensive side for that matter. We're talking about a guy who, had a noteworthy season in 2019, finished third in in the MVP race in the AL with uh, 33 homers, 92 RBI, batting 285, so that was really nice. But really, we talked about the veteran presence when the Jays brought in George Springer. And, you know, we can talk about the stats all we want, but that also kind of seems to be a part of the move here with Simeon, right? He's been to the playoffs the past three seasons with the A's, so he's kind of got that winning pedigree, that winning culture ingrained into him. He understands how to get through the highs, uh, like he's been with with the A's recently, and he also knows how to get through the lows before when the A's were, were really struggling. So he's also another versatile piece too, which I really liked. You already just kind of touched on uh, some of the versatility that we have. He played shortstop, as you already mentioned, now going to second base. And we also know that some of the other guys on our roster have flexibility as well. Guys like uh, Biggio, Guriel, right? These are interchangeable pieces that we're really fielding now. And I and I think that's going to only bode well for us. And so I think that that's, uh, I really like the signing here. 
like you said, it's just going to add to our roster. And, and I really like what we've got going forward here. What do you think that Toronto's getting here in, in Marcus Simeon? Well, this deal is great for both sides, right? Marcus Semyon has spent the last six years in Oakland. He's a Bay Area guy. Listen, I listened to a lot of his interviews. Uh, he had his press releases yesterday. So he was introduced to the Toronto media yesterday. And he really talked about how his intentions were probably to stay in Oakland, but we know the Moneyball Oakland Athletics, they simply don't have enough to offer Marcus Semyon $18 million with their cap crunch. So this is a great move for the Jays because it's a one-year deal. You look into the farm system, and we've talked about it before, Jordan Groshans and Austin Martin, they're probably going to be ready to see some big league time next year. So it's a good deal for both sides. Marcus Semyon had a bad year last year. We're not even going to call it a down year. It was a bad year. He talked about not being in shape with the start of the season. He's looking to bounce back. He's looking to uh, join that elite shortstop free agent class next year. So he's taking a one-year, you know, bet-on-himself deal to, to play with a great team in Toronto. And in return, we fill a hole that uh, isn't too shirt up. Obviously, Biggio would have been our second baseman, but third base is kind of up in the air still. We, we, we're probably going to try out Vladdy at third base at some point, but... We know that his defense can be a little bit suspect at times. So we get a great bat for our lineup. We get shirt up defensively, and we get the flexibility to move Austin Martin or Jordan Groshans to third base uh, going forward after this year. This really slides to me into the five hole for, for this lineup. We talked about last episode how great this lineup is. I don't know. He could be a top three guy. If he starts out red hot, he's a top three guy. He's a, he's an MVP candidate, right? So I think the pressure's off of him in the five hole. He's got a lot of protection in that lineup. I think he's going to do great. You know, Oakland's a huge ballpark. It's not that friendly to the hitter. Obviously, they won't be playing in, in Toronto to start the year that we've heard. Um, hopefully, at some point, maybe we get back to the Rogers Center, but all of the ballparks in the American League East are all hitter-friendly. So I think he'll enjoy hitting in the AL East, in Dunedin or Buffalo. Uh, it's a little bit sad for Jays fans. You know, you sign this one-year deal with a great player, and you don't really even get to see him play for your team with no home games. Of course, uh, not much we can do about the situation, but it is unfortunate. You know, he, he spoke about his free agency wanting to come to the city. He likes the city. His family likes the city. So it's unfortunate that we'll, we might not get to see him in the Rogers Center this year. Yeah, no no question. Um, hopefully that things can get figured out sooner rather than later. But I think that as long as the Jays are doing well, I think that although we won't, might not be able to see him live, we'll be able to see him uh, hopefully lighten things up. But that's interesting you mentioned with the, with the lineup there. I was actually just taking a peek at a couple of projected lineups today, and for the most part, I actually saw Marcus Simeon in the uh, in in the two spot, um, and bumping Biggio down to six, Vladdy at five, Teoscar at four, Bobichet at three. So it's kind of interesting. I think that something that you just finished saying, and and something that we've talked about as well, is that our, our players, like our, our our bats, they can really be moved up and down the order quite a bit and which is a really great problem to have right and so it's kind of like one through seven to be honest is is almost like uh 
pick your poison kind of thing and we're really building this gauntlet for uh, for any kind of pitching staff to to go through so it, it, it's going to be really interesting do you do you like I know that you said that Marcus Simeon you more seem in the five hole but do you have a problem with him in the in the two spot I don't at all going into this offseason we talked about it last episode we were probably going to land one of the guys in that Marcus Semyon, Didi Gregorius, Justin Turner, Colton Wong. I think out of that group, Marcus Semyon has the highest upside in the batting order. So he would probably be the only guy out of that class that was going to hit in the top three. I think Charlie Montoyo's got his hands full. It's a great problem to have, but I don't think we're going to see a cemented one through nine. I think everyone's going to be bouncing around. Whoever's performing well, whoever's hot is going to find themselves in that 3-4 hole. Whoever's slumping a bit, maybe they get dropped down to take the pressure off. The opening day lineup for me has him in the 5 hole, but like I said, if he if he returns to that 2019 MVP form, he should and very well could be in that number 3 spot. I don't know if I would have him number 2 just because we've seen him drive in 90 runs a season. Bo Bichette can drive in a run with the best of them, but I think his ability to get on base, his ability to be aggressive early in the count, maybe suits him better for, you know, uh, a one-two hole instead of a three where the pitcher's attacking him with, you know, off-speed to start, trying to strike him out with guys on base rather than going right after him to start the game. So that's the only reason why I have Semyon a little bit lower. Um, but like like I said, yeah, we, we could see him anywhere. anywhere. A lot of these guys could be shuffled like a deck of cards, but there's really only one way to see. I'm sure guys are going to get injured. It always happens. Guys are going to get cold. So we'll probably ride the hot hand, and, and we'll see where we go from there. Yeah, and that's going to make things really difficult on on the opposition as well, man. I mean, if you don't have a, a set kind of lineup, a set batting order in place, that can make, make it tough for the opposition to really prepare for you. Um, and obviously you have to give your lineups ahead of time, but, but it's one of those where, you know, you, you, it, it still does make it a lot more difficult when a team is maybe planning, you know, two, three, four days ahead. And who knows, you know, they just know that they're going to have this, <laughs> this very tough batting order to get through. They don't know what order it's going to be in, but they know that they're going to have to go through it. So something to keep an eye on for sure. As we go forward, should we move on to the, uh, to the mats, uh, acquisition? I think it's time. This was a blindside deal for me. Uh, Steven Matz traded to the Toronto Blue Jays. We trade back Sean Reed Foley, who I'm sure a lot of fans know. He was he was a touted prospect. He came up, you know, we remember that great game where he had 10-plus strikeouts against the Yankees and the Bronx. And then we also send uh, two prospects along with him that were 27 and 29 in our farm, I believe. Um, this you know, it's it's a great move. We talked about starting pitching, how bad we need it. He wasn't really a guy on either of our list, right? Especially in the trade department, we looked at guys like Danny Duffy. We looked at guys like Jameson Tyon, who's now been traded to the Yankees. I looked at a guy like Luis Castillo, who we have the parts to get. And then, of course, you have the free agent market um, with guys like James Paxton, Taiwan Walker, Jake Odorizzi. But the Jays go out and they make a deal with the New York Mets to pick up Steven Matz and... Steven Matz had a pretty bad year, just like Marcus Simeon did last year. But that second half, you know, he, he was a lot better. He wasn't great. He was still had great strikeout numbers. But Steven Matz, maybe he just needs a change in scenery. 
I like him a lot. I used to like him a lot. I didn't think he was he was really even available, but we know that the Mets have a surplus of pitching right now, and they're they're making a push at Trevor Bauer. So it makes sense why they would trade him. We get him at a pretty low cost. It frees up a few spots on our forty man roster that we needed, and it, it you know it's a, it's a risk deal, but um, we'll see what Stephen Matz can do. We know what he's capable of. He's still very young. What uh, what are your initial thoughts on this deal? Yeah, man, I had some mixed thoughts on it. I'll, I'll be honest with you, right? We're, we're acquiring a 30-year-old. He's, he's entering his age 30 season, I should say. 5.2 mil, which is which is a nice little number to get him at, right? Um, and especially who we're dealing away for him, right? Obviously, Reed Foley is probably the most noteworthy name out of out of the three guys that we sent. Um, and But at the end of the day, all three of these guys, they appear to be kind of their ceilings. Uh, and maybe you have, you feel differently about them, but their ceilings appear to be depth pieces, right? And and so it didn't really feel like we were giving up a whole ton. Obviously, we were giving up quantity. Um, not necessarily, though, we were giving up quality, in my opinion. Now, I think that the Jays are kind of taking on a risk of their own here, though. And, and that being that Mats has had quite the injury-riddled career. He's almost uh, a, a lock to miss some time each and every season. Now, how much time? Who knows? But... Uh, that's just something to kind of keep an keep an eye on. Is that you know if this this is a, maybe a, a more depth rotation piece that we're acquiring, or who knows where he ends up in our rotation. But if this guy's gonna be missing some time, who knows like how how this how this trade ends up panning out for us, right? But again, the fact that we're getting him at five point two mil is really nice. It's only a one year deal, so it's not like we're locked in long term with this guy. And the other thing is too, the nice thing about Mats is that. He's bursting with potential. He always has been, right? And and so with all that being said, it's not a move that I hate, but it's also a move that I'm not necessarily head over heels in love with. Um, at, at this point, it's 5.2 mil for one year for a guy who really could bounce back and end up being a viable starter. And that's, at this point, a risk that I am okay with taking uh, as, as a Jays fan with all of the power. <laughs> um, but but I am actually a little bit there was a piece of me that was a little bit confused as to why the Jays um, made this move just just in with all of the uh, maybe l- l- high risk low reward kind of move and and part of the research in doing for for a podcast man is that not only looking at the Blue Jays side of things is also I had to I was also looking at the Mets side of things and it seemed like the Mets really made this deal as well just because uh, they needed that depth. They needed some some depth in not only in the majors but also in the minors as well. So these three guys going back the other way could really fill a hole for them as well on the depth side of things. But as far as the Blue Jays are concerned, um, high risk. Uh, maybe maybe we can get some reward on it for five point two uh, for the one year, but uh, only time will tell. There was actually talks that I read that the Mets were looking at uh, designating Mats. They were looking at just cutting him outright. So the fact that they were able to get some prospects is good for them. When it comes down to Sean Reed Foley and these prospects, I mean, when you look at the Blue Jays pitching depth right now, there are so many guys who have the potential to be a fifth starter. We're really missing that two, three starter. But we have so many guys that could start games for us this year. And simply put, in this industry, there was just no place for Sean Reed Foley on this team. We've tried him out in the past. He's been up and down. So I think 
we found that we had a better chance with one year of Sean Reed, or sorry, one year of Steven Matz than we did continuing the Sean Reed Foley experiment and letting these kids develop when we have a surplus of mid-tier, bottom-tier starting pitching in our in our prospect pool. So it came down to numbers. We we traded three for one, and we freed up a few roster spots for Marcus Semien. Steven Matz will take one. You know, hopefully he can stay healthy and pitch some good innings for us. The interesting part for me is now Steven Matz, for me, he slots into our four right now. But that's our third lefty in the rotation, and you would have to believe that this takes us out of the James Paxton signing. Um, we we talked about it. He's a Canadian guy. He's a great pitcher. But you'd ha- you, you, you cannot see this team running with a four left-handed pitching rotation, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you, man. I, it was, uh, I, I don't think so either. But I mean, and, and Jaden Paxton, I think Paxton was a guy that both of us were really pulling for, the, hoping that the uh, Jays would sign. But at the end of the day, I mean, I guess if, if, if Matz is, is our guy, at the end of the day, the Jays are seeing something in him. And uh, as I think you've noted before, the Jays have one of the better uh, pitching development staffs in in all of the majors so uh, we'll we'll see what they can do with steven Matz. we'll see maybe this guy is poised for like i said before bursting with potential man and and it's just injuries have seemed to maybe hold him back from really fully tapping into that potential but we'll see maybe with this pitching staff and able to maybe change some some things in his workout regimen and, and be able to stay a little bit more healthier We'll see. Maybe this guy's poised for a big-time year for for the Toronto Blue Jays, and I would not be upset with that. Yeah, I agree. I think, obviously, there was something that we saw in Steven Matz. I don't know whether James Paxton... Obviously, James Paxton's price was going to be a lot higher than $5 million. Maybe they didn't want to commit past one year to a pitcher right now. We obviously know that the cap situation for next offseason is looking very good. We only have $64 million on the book for, for next year's free agent costs. So I think that these one-year deals are something that we can probably see a little bit more of um, with the with the moves that are left to be made here. And that's kind of where I want to get into next. We talk about James Paxton. Well, this is a whole different situation. Last episode we were talking, you know, we're probably going to have an infielder sign. We need starting pitching. Well, now we've, we've acquired both of those talents now this team is really one or two pieces away from making a big push in the playoffs this year. I look at the the remaining free agents, and I still have my eyes set on Taiwan Walker, Jake Odorizzi, but this trade market really should open up now that Nolan Arenado's been traded. You look at Herman Marquez. You look at Pittsburgh, maybe with Chad Cool. There's a lot of deals still. Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray are in Cincinnati on big deals. There's still a lot of deals, and the Jays, I do not think, are done at all just yet. Yeah, I, I don't think so either, man. And and the other thing is, too, is like you just noted, you know, next off season as well, it's almost like this is kind of how we've already talked about in, in the past episodes. It, it just seems like, yeah, this is an exciting season, no question about it. But but just looking ahead to this time next next year, and it just looks like, wow, there is just some big time names that can be had and who knows what the Jays are willing to do. And we're probably going to go all in. I would assume that uh, if hoping that we take the steps that we need to, 
um, as a team this year, I, there's no there's no doubt in my mind that that with what's upcoming, we're going to make a big push next year. But that wasn't like you just finished saying we don't. Uh, it wasn't the last move that we made because we also have Francisco Liriano coming back to the old uh, to the Jays here. Yeah, Frankie's back. Um, haven't seen him since 2016 when he unfortunately took a line drive off the, off the head. Uh, so Frankie's back. I think that this is a clubhouse move. The last time we saw Francisco Liriano was in 2019. I believe he was with the Phillies working out of the bullpen, and he actually put up some decent slash line numbers against left-handed hitters. I assume that's primarily where he will uh, – that'll be his role on this team. Of course, we already have lefties like Barucki and Kay in, in our bullpen. So it's just another one of these guys who, uh, pending injury or COVID, we are not going to have the same problem we have had in recent years where we don't have guys to start for us. The worst case, this is a minor league deal, so he can eat up innings in AAA. He's 37 years old. It's a minor league deal. Low risk. Nice to have him in the clubhouse. He's uh, he's a Spanish-speaking guy, right? Like we, we talk about the culture we're building, bringing in George Springer and Marcus Semien, but you have to remember that this is a very uh, Latin-based team, very Dominican. We have guys from Cuba. So bringing in a veteran for those guys to, to equal out the clubhouse with Springer and Semien, I think that that's what they're doing right now is they're building this clubhouse trying to get guys to show them the right way to play the game, the right way to handle themselves off the field. I like the move. I don't think it makes us any better or any worse, but uh, it's nice to see Frankie back. It's not the probably not the Francisco we were we were looking looking at getting going into the fr- going into the offseason, but uh, if you can't get Francisco Lindor, why not get Francisco Liriano, right? No question, man. No question. And just to quickly touch on that trade, uh, that's a big dub for the Jays, man. I, that was kind of one of those it's really tough at the end of the day to know in any trade who won the deal, right? It's got to be pretty lopsided for you to just look at a trade and say, yeah, they won it. But when it comes full circle like this, the guy that you traded and when we acquired Teoscar Hernandez, we still have him on our roster. And then we got the guy that we traded for Teoscar back in our clubhouse. I mean, that, that's, that is when you know that your team did, in fact, win the trade. We, of course, got Teoscar Hernandez from Houston. But you look at, you know, our farm system with, with the Houston Astros here. George Springer, Ken Giles, Teoscar Hernandez. Houston's been a nice little trading partner for us over the past few years. So if we ever make any future deals with Houston, definitely look out for that guy because he's probably turning into something special. Yeah, man, no doubt. And I think that now with all of these moves that we've kind of been making, with all, with all the moves that the Blue Jays have been making, all the new acquisitions and all of that, it appears as though guys like Tanner Rourke and, and Randall Grichuk specifically, maybe maybe more Grichuk than Rourke, but they could be on the outside looking in at, at, at a starting spot in, in some cases. Um, I would say Rourke would definitely be in the rotation, but... Do you think that the Jays could explore to see if there's a market for either of these guys? I think they are, and I think they're actively doing so. I follow this guy named Rob Beer Temple. Uh, he covers the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he tweeted out that they were looking for some veteran outfielders and pitchers and would be willing to take on salary since they have a pretty low cap this year, and I thought that would be the perfect trading partner. With Pittsburgh, they just shipped off Jamison Tyon. They have a bad, long history of trades that we're not even going to get into. But 
you look at a guy like Adam Frazier for them. His name's been out a lot. They traded both Joe Musgrove and Jamison Tyon now. They obviously are rebuilding. So I think that maybe we could send Grichik and Rourke, possibly, because both of those contracts are not something we're looking to pay, especially for a competing team to have 10 million not be a key contributing factor to a playoff team. It can't happen in today's game with, with the CBA and where the money is. That's not what you want. So if we can ship, you know, maybe make the deal a little bit more attractive with a prospect or two, we can maybe get rid of those contracts to a team like like Pittsburgh, right? Uh, there's other teams as well that could probably take on that deal, but that is probably the primary trading spot I'm looking at. Of course, we, we aren't the general manager. We don't know what they're asking. We don't know who they're specifically looking for, but in, in the news, it's been work, especially with Pittsburgh in mind, which would free up another spot. You know, when you're, when you're talking about starting pitching, we haven't really talked about subtracting. Uh, we've mostly been talking about adding, but he, he hasn't been very good, and you don't see him pitching big innings, important innings on a playoff team this year, for me at least. Well, that's interesting you bring that up, man, because so so we have, let's look at the guys that we're talking about, right? We have uh, Randall Grichuk, who's 29. He's got three years left at 10.3. So probably not what we want to see and what we want to hold right now. Um, and then we have Tanner Rourke, who's 34. He's on the last year of his deal at $12 million. So yes, I completely agree with you. If we're able to ship both of these guys, it's not like... I mean, Grichuk right now, as it stands, I would say he's probably looking at a um, substitution role. I'm going to call it that for now. He's he's not starting as it stands right now, right? And uh, so he's just kind of eating up some cap space. So at, at this point, what what do you think that we would be looking for in return when we're when we're trying to trade both of these guys do you think this is a prospect type deal or do you think that we're trying to or does pittsburgh for example have a, a better starting pitcher to offer us that you would say pittsburgh not now that joe musgrove and jameson tyon are out of town i don't think that they have maybe chad cool is equivalent adam fraser would be the best player we could get from pittsburgh I think this would be specifically a salary dump. Um, we we would even send the prospects in this situation just so they would eat that salary for us. And then we could go out and either make a trade with a player who's got a big contract or sign someone of the remaining free agent pool. I, I, I just think with Grichik being the fourth outfielder, he'll probably platoon... He'll be the DH when there's a lefty on the mound. I just don't know if that's the guy that you want to be spending $15 million on. We know that Gurriel has a great contract. We know that Teoscar's coming off the best season of his life. It, he's just the odd man out in, in this point in time. And, and when you're paying him that much money, of course his name's going to be in the trade block. I think he's a fan favorite. There's no doubt in my mind that the fans would love to see him stay and, and be a part of this team that he was really a contributor on getting us to this point right so it's it's a business man and if we have to get rid of that contract and it brings in a guy like Luis Castillo or Trevor Bauer that I don't think a lot of fans would be too upset with that move yeah no question <laughs> if if yeah if, if that if that move ended up getting us a guy like Trevor Bauer in the end I, I think that everybody would uh they would be okay with that one they would Send bite their tongues ring. on that yeah and and also kind of how we already talked about with just looking ahead as well. It's not even just this year, right? It's also next year. We're we're talking about Grichuk, who's eaten up 
you know, double digits in cap space next year. Uh, we're 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 going to be looking forward to next year in terms of hopefully making some more big moves, maybe some even bigger moves than we've seen this offseason so far. I, at least I, I I would hope so, anyways, uh, from the mound standpoint. But so so when you're talking about Grichuk and freeing up that space, I mean that that could absolutely be a, a play for us, uh, no question. Work right now is filling in a, a starting role for us. That would leave us with exclusively left-handers on the mound is is that right or am i missing well, we, we have nate pearson nate, nate pearson, pearson right. is going to eat a lot of, a lot of innings for us we also have trent thornton who can start games we have thomas hatch who could start games julian merriweather and then down in the prospect pool we still have alec manoa are these are these all guys that you would say though that if we deal rourke that you would be okay having up starting in place of rourke like, do, do you think that our mound gets any uh, worse or better, for that matter, by dealing Rourke? The thing with Rourke, I don't think he's getting traded unless we have a subsequent deal in place or in mind, right? So if we're dishing off $12 million, I think that there's that money's going to be spent elsewhere, whether it's at the trade deadline or before the season starts. I mean, we know that this this rotation has holes, but you look at the season Rourke had last year. He's you can't do much worse, and especially at twelve million dollars, we we wouldn't be afraid to give another guy a shot for sure. Addition by subtraction. Addition by sub- subtraction. He was throwing the home run derby last year, and he was great in Washington. We like him, but this deal just really didn't work out for us when we signed it a few years ago. I just think, you know, maybe we don't even get that pitcher until next offseason. Like, this is a moment where it's so exciting. This team's competing for the first time in four or five years. It's very exciting in Blue Jays land, but we kind of have to take a deep breath. We have 60, 60, just under $65 million on the payroll next year. And you look at that starting pitching class, I mean, you have to assume, like, guys like Kershaw, Scherzer, and Verlander and Granke aren't probably aren't going to want to finish their career as a Blue Jay, but there's still some guys in there like Syndergaard, McCullers, Bundy, Lance Lynn. We could we could wait a year and really grab that number one, number two pitcher with Ryu when the kids have more experience. We, we drop the one-year deals, the experiment deals, and we can really build from there. We're basically starting in the same spot we are with Springer already in the books, the kids are still on their rookie contracts, and that could really be where we solidify this team as a World Series contender. But as far as the big deals, unfortunately, you like you like Taiwan Walker, you like Jake Odorizzi, but unless you sign Trevor Bauer, this is going to have to be done in the trade market, which would mean that probably Tanner Rourke or Randall Gritchick is going to have to have to go at some point. Yeah, and let's let's talk about Trevor Bauer, man, because. <sighs> I, I, if, if Rourke gets dealt, let's just say Rourke gets dealt, or even if Rourke doesn't get dealt, do you think that the Jays are still in the hunt for, for Trevor Bauer? Because this guy's kind of, I think that we both talked about, this guy's starting to piss both of us off. I think he's starting to piss off the whole baseball world, taking his sweet time in, in, uh, in signing. Do you think that the Jays are still in conversation with Trevor Bauer to bring him in? A week ago or two weeks ago, I would have told you that there was no chance that Trevor Bauer would become a Blue Jay. But today, I don't know. I have no idea what is going on over there. 
you look at Trevor Bauer, he is one of the more interesting free agent cases I've seen in a very long time. He's clearly the best pitcher on the market. He's coming off a Cy Young. I don't know what he expects in this free agent market. He's waited so long that other teams have gone out and got their guys, right? Other teams have spent big money. When we listen to Rossack and speak in the George Springer press conferences, he said that most of the big lifting was done for this team. But I'm I don't know. Like you look at Trevor Bauer and you look at his possible destinations, it was the Jays, it was the Mets, it was the Angels, and it was the Dodgers. You know, some teams have him going to the Giants. Trevor Bauer has said that he wants to compete. And when you look at those first four teams that I mentioned, the Jays, after they signed Springer and Semyon, you're like, okay, they're done. They're not, they're out of the Trevor Bauer sweepstakes. You look at the Dodgers, they're very close to that pay cap, and they have to extend Corey Seager next year, which I think they want to do, and they still have to sign Justin Turner. So I don't think that they necessarily have the money to give Trevor Bauer the 25 to $30 million he's looking at. He has a horrible relationship with Mickey Calloway, who was the Angels pitching coach, who, of course, uh, completely unrelated to baseball, has been suspended, and he needs to be fired immediately. But you don't think that the Angels are going to be in the Trevor Bauer sweepstakes, or at least they haven't been in talks of, re- of late. So that kind of leaves the New York Mets. And for me personally, if the only realistic destination for Trevor Bauer is the New York Mets, why hasn't he signed yet? You know, like if that is the only team that's offered him $30 million a year that he wants, that's also a contender, how is he not, how is he still on the board? So that he has to be talking to other teams, whether it's a team we're not talking about and he's willing to not play for a contender like the San Francisco Giants, or he's still in talks with the Angels, the Jays, and the Dodgers. I have no idea what's going on in this situation, but at this point, I wouldn't be shocked if. Next week, we got got rumors that he's back in talks with the Jays. You know, maybe he changes. Maybe he looks at the market right now and says, okay, well, nobody really wants to spend money right now. Let me sign a one-year $30 million deal in Toronto, be a free agent next year, and try the market then. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that that could very well be it, man. Um, There's... It is very interesting and frustrating to watch at the same time because it's almost like... I understand from one side of it, wait it out, let's see what happens, let's feel out all the deals, see who, see all the different kinds of offers that we get and all the kind of different lengths that we get and whatnot. But then we get to the point how you're just, all the rosters seem to be filled. Now, there's one side of the argument where it's like, well, okay, this is Trevor Bauer, as you just finished mentioning, coming off of Cy Young, this guy's clearly um, a, a top tier pitcher, and it's it's like, okay, well, if this guy wants to sign with us, we're, we're going to try and make room. We're going to find, unless you're kind of like the Dodgers where you literally just might not be able to, um, you're going to probably try, you're going to make room for this guy in, in some way, shape, or form. But then the other side of the argument is is that, well, listen, like we've we, we filled everything up. We, we're just, we're not willing to pay you what it is exactly that you want and for the length that you want it at. Because we've already figured out our situation. This is this is where it's at for us right now. So I almost feel like there's there's a piece of me that feels that Trevor Bauer is almost hurting himself in this situation a little bit um, by waiting so long. Because, again, I understand you want X amount of dollars, but now it's at the point where, 
okay, well, we've figured out our thing, so now the leverage is more so in all of the club's hands versus at the beginning at the, of the free agency period, it, a lot of the leverage is in Bauer's hand because he was that coveted prize. And there's still pieces that need to be signed, right? Like we mentioned Paxton, Walker, and Odorizzi. But you look at the real players right now, and the Jays are really the only ones who still need to add to that starting rotation. It definitely doesn't help that the Mets owner, Steve Cohen, has lost uh, millions of dollars in the stock market the last uh, last few weeks here. But I don't know with Bauer. Like Now it's two weeks until spring training, and you don't have a team. This is It might get into panic time, and somebody's got a bite here, whether it's Bauer taking less money or playing for a worse team or somebody's going to cough them up the money. I am just shocked that it's taken this long to get the best player off the market. Well, you want to know what, man? And, and oftentimes um, in sports, when it takes this long and, and things are just not, don't seem to be churning, that's oftentimes when the agent kind of gets canned, you know, because the, the player starts to, like you just said, the player starts to get a little bit impatient himself and says, you know, why haven't you found me a deal yet? And the agent saying, no, trust me, trust me, trust me. Like, I, I got this kind of thing. And that's when the agent kind of gets let go. Now, I'm not trying to insinuate that the, the agent and, and Trevor Bauer, are, you know, have any kind of uh, problems or anything like that. But I'm just saying that oftentimes that, that is what happens. And so who knows what, what, what will happen. But you said that maybe a week from now, the Jays, we hear rumors that the Jays are back in talks with Trevor Bauer. And I, I honestly think that we've been pretty successful so far through three episodes here on uh, predicting some things and and wishing for things to happen. And they have, in fact, come true. So let's just put it down on the table right now. Let's hope that Trevor Bauer and the Jays are back in talks uh, within the next week. Wouldn't that be something to speak into existence here, hey? I've noticed on Blue Jays' Twitter, Transaction Tuesday has become pretty hot in the streets. A lot of the fans have been saying, hey, where was the Transaction Tuesday this week? You know, uh, what's Ross doing? And, you know, in the, in the deep hours of the night, Francisco Liriano, not who a lot of fans were hoping for, I'm sure, but he's he's keeping pace with Transaction Tuesday. So we got to speak it into existence, whether it's a trade or Trevor Bauer, maybe Oda Rizzi or Walker. We got to have something else coming on the way before this team takes the field in Dunedin in a few weeks here, right? I wouldn't hate it, man. I wouldn't hate it at all. Speaking of which, so the season is, in fact, expected to, to start in Dundinan, eh? It is. And just kind of getting off topic, this is a Blue Jays podcast, but we can talk about MLB and that whole debacle with the MLB wants to push the season back a month. They'll play 10 less games, but they'll get paid just as much. The fact that people are ripping on the players for that is ridiculous. The fact that the MLB came to the players like three weeks before the season started, these are professional athletes that are preparing their body for a 162-game season, and you want to push that back a month, and you tell them two weeks before when they've been training for this all off season, especially with the routines that broke. Like these, baseball is such a delicate sport, like with pitchers, position guys, speed guys, like injuries are so prevalent, and... Do, do guys want to risk their career and their their life their livelihood by pushing the season back so the MLB can get some more fans in the seats and get some more money in their pocket? Absolutely not. So anyone who's saying that this is the players' fault, all I ask is just look at the whole story because these the players are what make the game. 
I understand we want fans in the seats, but this is the this is their career, right? So I I, I can't believe that that was even brought up to me that that the players are in the wrong there. Yeah, man, and and the other thing is too is that this this little butting of heads if you want to call it that between the league and and the players because obviously like you just finished saying that the players they are in a routine they're preparing their bodies and whatnot for the season that's upcoming and then the season goes and drops this little bit of a bomb on them and this is just more fuel if you ask me when we're talking when we're coming into the cba uh talk that that's coming up i think is it next off season or it's it's coming up very soon for the mlb it is yeah so next off season that's just some more fuel and that's that's a conversation that we can have in a future episode here uh, as to where we see the mlb going in 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 the near future but you know there's a lot of talks as to there's going to be a lockout and there's just this is just more fuel being added to that fire so listen i don't think it's a good look for the mlb as a whole and uh, definitely, the fans need to look at the whole picture. But but we all we all know Twitter is a very quick react kind of thing, and everybody wants to <laughs> they, they they look they see one news article. Everybody's and, and got their piece, right? Yeah, they react. We've all been guilty so. at some point. But that is one of the worst relationships between the players and the owners out of all the sports. It has to be the worst. And at this point, we're doing a nosedive into a lockout next year. Like, just. Ever, there's so much wrong with it. We might dedicate an episode to the relationship between the MLB and the and the players, but there is just so much wrong with what's going on. But, you know, for right now, we have a season in two weeks to worry about, and we're going to worry about the good times first. Yes, sir. Let's pipe it up with that. That's uh, we, got some, we got some good baseball hopefully on the way here. We got some exciting baseball for Canadian fans uh, for... For the first time in, like you said, uh, quite a few years here. So looking forward to it. Yeah, I think we I think we have a prospect episode and a predictions episode coming up. Am I am I correct in saying that? Sign me up, man. Let's do it. I'm uh, I'm ready to go on both of those. I think that's going to be a really interesting episode. Especially the everybody loves predictions, but especially the prospects episode. Listen, the prospects are people that that they don't. They don't get talked about enough, right? They get talked about a little bit, but especially in the MLB, because there's so many prospects, it's it's one of those where you draft them and then not a lot of talk about them until the, until they're starting to really get close to, and then when they finally make it to the show. So I think that by us doing this episode in the prospects episode, that's going to be uh, huge for the fans, and and we can uh, maybe give people some insight as to what we can expect and the likelihood of some of our prospects actually making it to the show. Yeah, I think most Blue Jays fans know the Austin Martins, the Jordan Groshans, the Simeon Wood Richardsons, the Alec Manoas, but there's a lot of guys in that pool that have real talent. And unfortunately, when we're competing, a lot of them might get traded, but it's good names to know. You never know. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll blossom and be a star for this team. So we'll get into them for sure. So what? So our mojo for the week then? Uh, we said Trevor Bauer, maybe a trade. Are are we are we sticking to the starting pitching here? We got the we got the infield with with Semyon. So so yeah, we're gonna stick with the pitching. You know what? Before we before we uh, exit the episode here, man, what what do you think? Just if Trevor Bauer was to come to Toronto here, what what do you think that the Blue Jays become then? Or do you think that their like deep playoff run just or, or what, what do you think that their their floor is, I should ask? 
if we get the Trevor Bauer that pitched last season, there is a very strong possibility that this team makes a deep playoff run and they are World Series contenders. I, I don't think anyone with that lineup and you add a, a number one guy on top of Ryu, Pearson, Ray, and Mats. I don't think anyone really is arguing with that. And the other thing to note with Trevor Bauer is he wants to pitch every fourth day, right? He's he said that's big part of his negotiations. Well, you look at the Toronto Blue Jays, we're kind of that team who doesn't have a fifth guy, right? Like we're on the bubble of just throwing somebody out there every fifth day and hoping for the best. So if we can cut this down to a four-man rotation, running out Big Nate, Trevor Bauer, Ryu, and then either Mats or Ray, move one of those guys to be a lefty out of the bullpen, that team could make some serious noise. And I, I, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't be in deep into the playoffs. No doubt. I, uh, I absolutely agree with you. Let's uh, speak it into existence once again, man. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, man, this is this has been a lot of fun again. So uh, we'll see you guys back for for the next episode. Thank you for listening to Flipping the Bird. Josh, thanks for thanks for coming on again, as always. And we will see you guys in episode four. Thank you, sir. Looking forward to the next one. Thank you.